Good morning. As we continue in worship this morning, I want to read to you guys from Psalm 139. You've probably heard this psalm before. It was one we read this week. I'm going to read the whole thing because of the richness that's contained inside this particular chapter. But I'm going to draw out a couple of things as we prepare our hearts this morning to worship the King of Kings. The word says, O Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. And if I just stop right there for a moment, I say, before you even walked into this room, God knows the circumstances you're in. He knows what kind of week you've had. He knows what kind of morning you've had. He knows exactly where you're at right now. He knows you. You know when I sit, I sit down or I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything that I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born, and every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. O God, if you only would destroy the wicked, get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you, God. Your enemies misuse your name. O Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with a total hatred for your enemies are my enemies. And then this last part here, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the past, uh, on the path of everlasting life. At the very beginning of this chapter, we read that God knows everything about you. And the psalmist ends this chapter by saying, Search me. Search me and know my heart. The psalmist just said, God knows everything about you. And I look at this and I say, why would the psalmist write that at the end? And I think because a part of the response in this chapter is that when you ask God to search you and know you and test you and to know your anxious thoughts, that is an invitation that you are giving the Holy Spirit to be at work in your heart and your life. Inviting him in saying, God, if there's something you want to show me today, show it to me. If there's something that you want me to do in response to the word of God and the worship we have here today, show me what that is and help me to act on that. Not just to come and, and fellowship, which is awesome. I love it. We're a family. We should do that. But we, as we come and get filled up with the word of God, there's something the Holy Spirit wants to speak into your life. 
Amen? So let's start with prayer, and with that invitation in mind, let's just ask God to search us. Search us and to know us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together and worship as a family. And as we lift up Christ, Father, I pray that our hearts will be in a posture and position of receiving and an invitation to say, Holy Spirit, come and speak to all of us. There's things in our life that you want to, to join in and, 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 and work and, and weave and, and move and, and, and just lead us deeper into our relationship with you. So, Father, we invite your presence. We ask for you to come and move among us in a powerful, mighty, and supernatural way. Today's a day that you've created. We're going to rejoice. We're thankful for it. And as we gather in worship, meet us here as we lift up the name of Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning and happy Father's Day to you. And we, uh, it's a great day to be a father. I hope it is for you, too. I want to give you a kind of a quick little report. We had 96 at LifeGate this morning, and we're not exactly sure if they counted the kids downstairs. So that would add another 15 to that, but uh, we had, uh, we're getting pretty crowded now. It's getting pretty crowded. It's good, good day. Good day. It's a very good day. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, and uh, I'll begin reading in verse 5. I'll do that in a few moments, but it's in Psalm 78. You know, Joan asked me uh, some time ago uh, to take her to one of those restaurants, um, you know, where they, they make the food right in front of you. You know, I, I was at one of those a uh, time or two, you know, as a Chinese deal, and these guys hacking around with the knives and everything and slicing up this. And, yeah, you kind of sit there. He's not all that far from you, actually. All this action is in front of you. Kind of wondered if I should have a helmet and face covering or anything like this. This guy was really going. And Anyway, Joan asked me to take, uh, take her to a, one of these restaurants, uh, I make the food right in front of you, and so I did. I took her to Subway, and, <laughs> and that's kind of where the argument started there. <laughs> it's tough being a pastor's wife. Sometimes it's tough being pastor's kids, too. You know, today all across America, people are honoring fathers, and, and I think that's appropriate, and we want to honor dads in here, and we're thankful for you. I'm just curious, I asked this uh, uh, a couple hours ago, but I'd like to ask this, how many great-grandfathers do we have in here this morning? Great-grandfathers. Hey, look at this. Yeah, great-grandfathers, great-grandpas. I know we've got some granddads in here. There's all kinds. Of great grandfathers also qualify for grandpas, too. So you get a double there. <clears throat> but we've also got a lot of great dads, too. So thankful for you. You know, to, like I said, today all across America, uh, we're honoring fathers. It's Father's Day. It's, 
And you know, Father's Day has had somewhat of an on and off history. Uh, if you, if you kind of research Father's Day a little bit, you'll find that they actually did this several centuries ago. It was kind of a, it seemed kind of a sporadic kind of a thing. And, and here in America, it really didn't happen until uh, just the very early 1900s. And there again, it was very on and off, you might say, and, and that sort of thing. But it was in 1966 when President Lyndon Johnson uh, issued a presidential proclamation speaking about Father's Day being on the third Sunday of June. Now that was a proclamation and they, they can be uh, rescinded or ignored or whatever. And it was uh, six years later when President Nixon actually signed a law that designated Father's Day as a national holiday. So we have a law that says this is a holiday. And one of the things that always kind of gets me is uh, on ads on television, when you see these ads, uh, what, what are they advertising for dad? Lawnmowers, hedge cutters, uh, uh, string trimmers and everything. It's just like saying, here, dad, get out and get busy. And get this lawn shaped up for us here. It's a mess. And uh, stuff like that. A pastor friend of mine had pastored in Phoenix, Arizona, a very large church. Uh, that probably had somewhere around six, seven, eight thousand people on a Sunday morning. Uh, they decided to give gifts to fathers, and of course the debate was, what do we give? What do we give fathers? And so they did, they made a decision. And, and when you first hear this, you think, well, that's crazy. Actually, it's incredibly practical. They gave every dad a pair of black socks. See, I mean, you're getting the same impression I did. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah, we can run, we can run down to the local store and get those for three for a buck. And uh, I heard the story of a husband. You know, husbands, it's this is just you know, just I I, I always like to on Father's Day kind of give something to help dads be better dads and better husbands too. And so here's here's a little uh, thing. Although this is sort of the negative side of this, you can improve upon it, I think. Uh, the story of a father who is trying to, or a dad, husband, who is trying to encourage his wife. His wife is kind of struggling with a few things, and he told his wife, he says, you know, honey, just embrace your mistakes and, and, uh, and learn from them. And she turned to her husband and embraced him. <laughs> and, uh, that isn't how it's supposed to work, but... Uh, you know, at least he did something. You know, you know why God... <laughs> I missed something over here. I was looking this way, but I missed it over here. You know, of course, you know why God commands us to honor fathers, and it's pretty obvious. In Exodus chapter uh, 20, it says, honor your father and your mother, and that's appropriate. It's, it's meaningful. It's what we do. We need to do it and be glad to do it. But one of the reasons is actually found wrapped up in the word father. And I didn't know this until I began to kind of study and prepare for this message this week. And in the verb form, the word father means founder or foundation or author. So in other words, the, the father here is the foundation the author, and the founder of the home. 
He's talking about the home here, a God-fearing home, a God-honoring home. And this is where I want to read my text here in Psalm 78, beginning in verse number 5. It says, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they might arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. Our faith, ladies and gentlemen, isn't something necessarily that we, although you can do this, it isn't necessarily something that uh, we, we pull a book off the shelf and look at it and say, this is what faith is. Our faith is something that we, that we hand down to generation to generation. It's handed off. Much in a relay race that you would see in the track season, the baton becomes passed to the next generation. And we want to make sure that we get the handoff right. That's a critical importance. Because nobody wins that race. Nobody wins that race when the baton is dropped and you have to stop and find the baton and pick it back up. By then, everybody's gone. It's important to us. God has commanded us to teach our children and to point our children to him. And here's why. So that our children may have confidence in God and keep his commandments. We want our kids to know and understand God. Have confidence in God. Knowing that the God that we, that we pray to, the God that we, that we look to is a God that really answers and responds and helps us in so many different ways. As a parent, <clears throat> I have a responsibility to explain truth to my children. Now, now, granted, I need to teach my kids how to play ball. I need to teach my, my kids how to ride a bicycle. I need to teach my, my kids how to drive the car and all of these things. These are important things. I'm not setting them aside. Those are important things. But I also need to teach them the ways and the directions of God and how that works and fits into their life. And then I need to model that too. It's not enough to show up on Sunday morning and say, well, this is what you're supposed to do, but six other days we don't do it. We model this also. We teach it and then we model it. I'm very convinced, folks, that our current day culture, I don't know, it just seems like it's done just about everything to flip the roles of men and fatherhood and being a husband and, and poured in confusion from so many different angles and, and aspects and things like that. I believe there are men that are scrambling to try to understand, should I be tough or tender? Should I be strong or sensitive? What, what do I do? Should I be fierce or friendly? Which is it? What is it? And all I can say is there's a lot of mixed messages today. Media in particular mixes these messages constantly. But this book, this book, this book of God, is the book that is going to tell you this is what masculinity is. 
This is what a man is. This is what a husband is. This is how to be a father. And I don't scold anybody, not one person who says, I'm not sure if I understand all this. I, I, got, I got you, I got you. And that's why, that's why this, is a, this is a learning experience. It's not something that, okay, I went to church for a month in June, now I got it. No, 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 no. It's something that we acquire. It's something that continues to grow in our mind, in our spirit, in our heart, in our practice, in all of these things. Maybe you've experienced in your life, and my guess, this would be true of almost any adult in here, any family, any dad, any mom, a wake-up call. A wake-up call, and I'm not talking about the alarm clock going off at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm talking a, I'm talking a life wake-up call. Something that, something that interrupts whatever's been going on, and God uses it to speak powerfully into our lives, to cause us to look deep inside of ourselves and sort out what is really mattering with life and to deal headlong with some tough issues in your life. <clears throat> Early in our marriage, when Jonah and I returned from Alaska to start a church in Algona, we were busy people. I was especially busy. We were doing everything we could to try to grow that church and everything else like that. And about, I would say about three years into this process or so, there was a wake-up call, and it was profound. It struggled. And I'm telling you here today, I came that close to losing my family. Because I had time for every family in church. I had time for every kid in church. But I didn't have time for my family. I didn't have time for my kids. And it was, it was something that, that just jarred me and caused you to refocus and recenter and get a grasp on what priority is. Sometime later, <clears throat> several years later, 1993, I'm pastoring a church in Des Moines. It was Mother's Day. Church was packed. And I got up to lead the service like I'm standing here today. The opening song started, and I felt something that I never felt in my life. I was perspiring profusely. I was having trouble catching my breath. And I thought, you know what? Hyperventilation will do that to you. It wasn't hyperventilation, it was a heart attack. And we had two RNs and a physician in the church. And I watched him get up and I thought, well, that's, you know, the beeper probably went off. And they motioned me to the side door and I walked over there and I just fell into a chair. I remember the ambulance ride down 
Southwest Ninth to Mercy. I remember how hard it was to keep my eyes open. Everything stabilized. And that afternoon when everything kind of settled down, I'm laying in a hospital bed and I realized tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, church secretary, Judy, she's going to unlock the door and go in, operation of the church, daycare will get going, everything's going. Next Sunday, somebody will speak in that pulpit, whether it's me or not. Everything will keep going. It was a wake-up call. Just a few years after that, Joan and I had just left Des Moines for Trinity in North Dakota. <clears throat> and we were to represent the college in St. Louis at a large conference, very large conference. And we'd gone to St. Louis and that, I think right after we got to St. Louis, I got a phone call from my mother, and my mother said, your father's just got hours. Is there any way you can get out here? And so we set things up quickly, and I got a ticket, flew to Phoenix. Got there on a Tuesday afternoon. My dad was already in a coma. Tried to speak. I've always heard that they can still hear. So I talked, read the Bible, prayed. Late that evening, he passed. It's one of those moments in which a lot of things turn in your life. On Father's Day, that same year, I wrote my father a letter, and I gave him a telephone call to speak to him. I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. I'm not going to read all of it. After saying a number of things, I said, as a father myself, I see a lot of things in a different light. Now I can understand why you did and said the different things, even though I might not have agreed with them at the time. Now I sometimes see my own children express the same thing, but they too will someday get it, just like I did. So much of life seems to turn on special moments and times, and we seem to be approaching one of those times. I can never repay you for your investment in me. It's an honor to call you my father, and I will always love you. Maybe somebody in this room today needs to call a father. If you're fortunate, 
maybe you could go visit him this afternoon. Make sure you tell him. And thank him for all that he's done. And tell him you love him. These moments force us to center ourselves. I think a lot of our lives, mine certainly is this way, our lives go in just, I mean, they're just going in all kinds of directions, all kinds of things. And, and these moments cause us to sometimes reset in our spirit and in our life what's important. And I'm not saying that ministry wasn't important. I'm not saying people wasn't important. But I am saying priorities are very, very easy to slide off on a different siding. For a while, it looks like they're running parallel. But it's not too long till you realize they're way off the track. Some of us remember we're old enough. Remember back in the days when we had black and white TV and you actually had to get off the couch to turn to one of three channels to see what's on it. And you might have to fiddle around with the aluminum foil on top of the thing and all that stuff, you know. One of the most popular shows of that era was hosted by a very serious looking man with a stiff neck and talking about his big show and his name was Ed Sullivan and he literally became a legend. He had countless entertainers, just, I mean, it was countless. But there was always this one guy that he brought on that spun plates on top of a little stick. You remember that? How many remember that? This is the over 60 crowd right here. <laughs> we should have, well, we'll keep going. He, you know, he got these plates, he'd stick them on, you know, he'd stick them on top of this, uh, this stick and then he'd spin them and they'd sit there and spin. And I've always wondered, it's always been in the back of my mind, I wonder how many people I wonder how many people went out and found a stick and grabbed a hole of somebody's china and gave it a spin and see how this thing will work. But those plates have uh, a way of demonstrating something in our lives. Those spinning plates. When a starry-eyed couple walk down the center aisle of the church and they say, I do, a plate starts spinning. It's called marriage. They discover other plates, they discover a career, they discover uh, probably new friends, they discover most likely even a new community and many other things. And then something else happens, a bunch of little saucers come along. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? They're on top of the same stick and they're spinning around. And one of the deals is, after they spin for a while, they start to wobble. And you know, sometimes, <laughs> Sometimes if you, if you don't get them spinning again, they'll fall on the floor and crash and, and break into many pieces and everything like that. 
Our lives are a lot like those spinning plates. And maybe for some of us in the room today, maybe some of those plates have started to wobble. And uh, could be even some have crashed. The good news is, and I, I, I wrote this uh, in something uh, here last few days. No matter how many steps you've been away from God, it only takes one step to get back into focus with God. Don't ever forget that. And that one step is what we pray that God will help you to do today and, and to do many other things beside this. this spinning plates, these spinning plates tell us that we're leaving a life story. And one of the biggest keys in this life story is trying to strike a balance between the workplace and the home place. This is critical. This is absolutely critical. And too often, the assignment in the workplace overshadows the home plates. And I can tell you this, those home place plates begin to wobble when something like that starts to happen. There are people who say, well, you can't have success at work and, and, uh, and also have a great home. I, disagree, I totally disagree with that. But I tell you, the issue is not can we do it, but it's an issue of will I do it? Will I make the investment of commitment and time and energy and all of these other things? Will I do this? I'm, not, I'm sure I'm not the... I'm sure there are many models out there that uh, people want us to take a look at, many different models of, of men. I was, I was in my mid-20s when I came to Christ, and I began to realize my model is not the Monday night football guy drinking beer and eating wings. That's not my model. My model is not the slick corporate guy cooking up deals and all of these things. That's not my model. My model is to be found in someone called Jesus Christ. And I discovered that after I came to faith in Christ and started to examine his life. Just about everything about Jesus tells me he was not some kind of a wimpy guy, some limp-wristed guy, some, you know, some, you know, this guy was rugged. This guy knew how to work. This guy knew he grew up around work and everything else. He knew his purpose for his life. And he told those prospective disciples, this is who I am. This is what I do, and this is where I'm going. Peter, James, John, follow me. Now, I'm the, maybe the only one in here, but I guarantee you this. I don't believe for a moment that Peter, James, John, professional fishermen, owned their own boats, their nets. They did this for a business. I don't believe for an instant they would have followed anyone else Unless that person was able to say, this is who I am, this is what I do, and this is where I'm going, follow me. And they did. They did. That's why the Apostle Paul focused everything in his life 
for purpose and vision. That's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ. That's singular. That's one thing. That's it. I'm not living for anything else. For Christ. For him alone. That's it. That's why Paul was able to say when he was on death row in a Roman prison cell, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. You listen to me right now. You can farm the township. You can be the biggest CEO in the state of Iowa. And it means nothing. Unless you have fought the fight, you have kept the faith, and you have finished the course. That's what counts. Everything else stands behind that. That's what matters. The man who chooses Jesus Christ as the role model is the man that reflects Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7 at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, this is a man that heard my word and acted on it. He is a man that built his house on a solid rock. The winds came, the floods, the storm. The house stood. The other man ignored those words. I think the other man heard the words, but he didn't act on them. And he built the same house. But instead of putting it on a foundation of rock, he put it on sand. The winds came, the floods. The storm blew against his house, and it collapsed. Ladies and gentlemen, there are collapsing houses all around us. All around us. Don't allow that to be yours. Five dots in a line. Every person, every man, every woman even, are, <clears throat> are represented by these five dots in a line. Dot number one is the day you were born. Dot number two is the day you met your wife. Dot number three is when you married that woman. Dot number four is when you had your children. And dot number five is when you finished your course. The line is eternity. Three quick things. I'm going to finish. Um, Janet, were you playing this morning? Three things. Strike a balance with these three things. I saw a bumper sticker the other day, and I just loved it. It said, good fathers are real men. I, I wish I could find out where that was. I'd love to buy a bumper sticker for every man in here. Be a real dad. Second, be a real husband. I know we talk about loving your kids, but, and I don't want to make this a priority, and I don't want to put one and two. You need to do this simultaneously, but love their mother. Be a good husband. Be a great husband. Number three, follow the leader. 
And that leader is not me, and that leader is not another guy, but it's a strong and growing relationship in Christ because Christ has a plan for your life. Solomon, who is considered perhaps the wisest person in the world, certainly the most wealthy, said in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, he said, he said, guard your heart because out of it flow the issues of your life. We must guard our hearts, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm going to tell you why right now, real simple. There's many reasons, but I'll tell you this. God has made a huge investment in my life. He has made a huge investment in every one of your lives because he gave his son. That investment must be guarded. That investment must be honored. He's given me way too much to trade it away for something down here that will never, never last. I have too much to gain. I have too much in front of me to gain, to give it all away and lose it. Because Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, today we thank you for our families, our children, our spouse. We thank you for all that you've given us Thank you, Father, for blessing our, our lives in just countless ways. Father, I pray for our families today. I pray for the families here at Faith Community Church that, God, that you would help us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Father, I pray that you help dads in particular to be, be strong dads, strong fathers. Help them to be sacrificial kind of men that really do place their wife and their, and their children first. Father, I pray that you will give us your strength. Give us your encouragement. Open our hearts and open our eyes to your word and to your desires. So, Father, I pray about this. I pray in the name of Jesus that you'll help our families. Father, I pray about people here this morning that have come into the church and something in the service, perhaps in the music or the message, has struck their hearts. It's pounded into their hearts, in fact. That they need to commit themselves to Christ and to know him as the Lord and the Savior of their life. Father, I ask those people to join me as we pray together here this morning. I ask them to simply pray, Jesus Christ, come into my life. Come into my heart this morning. I admit that I, I have sinned and I've come short of the glory of God. Today, I want to turn that around. I want to make the step to God this morning. I ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life, to be the Savior of my life, to govern my life. I surrender my life to him. I believe Jesus died for me. 
and that he rose from the dead for me. Today, in simple faith, I ask him to come in and live in my heart as the savior of my life. Father, I thank you for people who uh, perhaps have prayed that prayer. And while our heads are still bowed in reverence and reverence and pr in prayer and our eyes closed, I would simply ask the people, any person, any person at all, that prayed right along with me this morning to just simply lift their hand and then put it right back down. Nobody's looking, but I want you to do that. Let God know. This is your signal that you're serious about God. You're serious about him governing your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We've got some goodies out there and some treats. And if you're a guest with us today, and we trust that you filled out uh, that connection card, stop by, please stop by the uh, information table. We've got a gift for you out there. And, and uh, we do want to make a further connection with you with a letter this week. We'd love to do that. Take some time to get acquainted with some folks around the, around the, uh, the church here and everything like that. Praise the Lord.